Last week, uh, Brian opened us up with Genesis 1 and 2. It's hard to just move past it. Um, so it, it creates for us a form um, and, and a formula for the rest of, especially verses 3 through 25. So we're going to revisit some things, um, but we're going to be in Genesis um, 1, 3 through 25. So if you have Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have them available for you in the lobby. Um, if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. It's all yours. You can have it. Um, I also wanted to say that next week, uh, I, know we, I know we just started Genesis. We're not changing to a new series. Just calm, calm down, you know, breathe. Um, but Tim Sawson is going to be stepping in, and he's part of my movie. Um, Tim Sawson is, many of you know, a good friend, uh, part of my missional community, a licensed counselor in the city of Philadelphia. And um, the Lord has blessed him, um, honestly blessed Philadelphia through him, specifically um, with trauma-focused discipleship. So he's going to be talking not just about that as a counselor, but that through the lens of Scripture. Um, so Tim's going to be Corinthians 5. But, so we're going to take a one-week break, and then we'll jump right back into it. Um, so Tim's going to be up here next week, and I'm really excited about how the Lord's going to use that. Um, but for today, we are still in Genesis. Uh, so Genesis 1, uh, 1 through 25 is where we're going to be. All right, so uh, what do you think that last year, 2020, what was the word of the year? Any guesses? Word of the year, virus, unprecedented, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, virtual, yes, all right, so all kind of really closely linked, uh, pandemic was, was the word, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all there, but um, yeah, I, it's funny that you say unprecedented, because unprecedented was the word that I thought of, it's like everyone was like, oh man, it's unprecedented year, unprecedented trials, and we need an unprecedented solution, you know, it's like unprecedented was the word that we just... We get it. Like, we learned a new word, you know? Um, and it, we, you know, words mean something. Even when they're worn out, they mean something. Um, and one of the other things that we, that we would say, as, as, especially as we stepped into the pandemic, was often heard people say, well, this is, this is my new reality. Oh, working from home? Oh, it's my new reality. You know, kids at school, kids not at school anymore, they're home. It's their new reality. Masks on? Oh, new reality. You know, this is just, this is the world now. And so we begin to say these things to ourselves over and over and over again. Um, but last year, one of the things that rose to the surface, and we're going to be recovering um, for a long time, it's going to be one of those things that um, our generation is going to be marked by, that, that people are going to talk about how the pandemic affected us 10 and 15 years from now, um, how it affected our economy, how we, it took so long for us to recover, whether it's just physically and, and financially. Um, but I think, honestly, what we've yet to see is, is mentally. You know, there, there's going to be um, a continued healing mentally that, that is going to be required for what we as a nation just, just went through. So mental health of America, just, just to give you some validity to that statement, is, um, it says this. It says the number of people looking for help with anxiety and depression has skyrocketed. From January to September of 2020, um, 315,220 people took the anxiety screen, a 93% increase over 20, since 2019, a 93% increase of total number of anxiety screens. Um, so this is what we found, that our, our circumstances change, you know, um, our, our circumstances change. And sometimes it's in a little way, um, sometimes you get, you, get, you know, 
just something new from the store. It changes your environment. Sometimes it's in a big way. You get a new job, but sometimes it just feels like it's beyond us, and something like a pandemic, you know, just kind of enters into the scene, and our circumstances change, and one of the things that we found is that as our circumstances change, the foundation and what we were standing on is kind of shaken, you know, and and our, as our realities change, we begin to turn to things um, that, whether it's anxiety, whether it's if we find ourselves in, in depression, we turn to things that, that necessarily don't change our reality. We turn to things that actually just kind of, for a moment, help us escape reality. And so, you know, people have all kinds of different things that, you've turned, that we turn to, but there's these moments where there's just this... I just need to escape. And because there's almost this hopelessness, like I don't know that I could truly change my current state. And so this. Um, and, and we learned that a hard way, through the hard way, that as you do that over and over again, it, it causes real mental issues. And it, it just begins, people begin to feel completely trapped. And I think the reason that's important, the reason that I, that I start there today is um, today, our, our series was titled Life in the Garden. Um, and we could have titled it other things. Um, Origins, which is Genesis, Beginnings, um, The Garden. The reason that we wanted to call it Life in the Garden is because what you see throughout Scripture, um, as you attach yourself to this story, this greater narrative in Scripture, as you attach yourself to what God is doing throughout the world, there's something that allows you to transcend your current circumstances and live in a way that you were always made to live. And so in a time where a pandemic or the reality that you're living in becomes overwhelming or it feels like it's something that has just completely trapped you, there's no better time for us to be reminded of the beginning, that there's a story. There's a story that began somewhere. There's a story that we're a part of. There's a story that's bigger than even the things that are going on around us. So we're meant to walk in that. We're meant to experience, even, even in times where the world is broken, we're meant to experience through Christ life in the garden. Um, so let's start, let's start here today. Uh, we're just going to read the first two verses, and I, I promise we'll, we'll keep moving. Um, Genesis 1, 1 through 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, yet yeah, we... Um, we, we want to walk in step with you. Um, we know. What we know to be true is that, Lord, it's the spirit that gives life and that the flesh is no help at all. And, and so, Lord, I pray that today um, that we would lay down these things, these fleshly things that we bring into this room. So whatever this week, whatever this week had, Lord, I pray that we would step in here um, fully equipped by the Spirit and reminded once again that God is on the throne, that you are creator, your creation is good, that you're, not only did you create, but you've recreated through Christ and that we can walk in the garden. We can walk in this, in this way that we were always made to walk with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that today. Um, Lord, do something that is just um, bigger, 
bigger than our expectations this morning. I don't know what we expected as we, as we got into our cars and we, or we walked over to, to church and we sat in our seats and, and we just expect that it's just another Sunday. Lord, um, you're king. And so today's yours. Um, I, I pray that you would do something that's far greater than we can uh, even imagine this morning. Uh, in your name, amen. All right, so... Uh, like I said in the beginning, um, the, I really have found, like we always pull on these different resources. I really have found the Bible Project to be very helpful, specifically with this. Tim Mackey does a great job of understanding just what is Genesis 1. Um, and I ended up reading some of the guys that he's read and then had guys that he's read. So I'm handing down a story to you this morning, if that's helpful. Um, so it's important that we start with literary design, um, which is just like we look at this passage. And I, I don't know that we're always able to to do this like through acts we covered one through 12 so it was kind of this like i don't know that we can pull apart every single passage but we want to approach the approach it within context as best that we can um, but here we're, we're really going one little piece at a time and so especially with the first two verses we we have the opportunity to just kind of take it slow um, and that's that's what we're going to aim to do so the first two verses we're going to go to the whiteboard i got my markers here they are um the first two verses, um, in the beginning, God. Uh, this was originally written in Hebrew, and the author of it, uh, like Brian said last week, is Moses. And the time that it was written was when they were coming out of Egypt. And so, again, we like to go into especially Genesis 1. Like, this is the story that's all, all these controversies because, you know, what does this mean? And, and how long was the day? And, and, and when, what order was it really created? And, and all, all of those questions that we bring to the table, but we forget the author. Like, Moses wrote this, and he wrote this. He wrote this a long time ago, and he wrote it for his people. Um, and he was influenced by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, but he wrote it for a purpose. And so I think our aim in that, before we answer all of our questions, which those are vital questions to ask and, and have answered, and they are definitely worth wrestling with, but the first thing that we need to understand is why. Why did he write this? Why did Moses write this? So in the beginning, it's written in Hebrew, um, so in the beginning, this word beginning is a word reshit, reshit. Um, it refers to, you're, we're going to see so, in so many different ways how the way that we think, it, it just requires some real effort to pull us out of our context and to put us into their context. And reshit is the beginning of that. It's, it, is, it means the beginning, but it, it means more specifically not a beginning point in time, like, like my son was born um, at a specific time, but more so it was, means a period of time. So um, in Job, we see this a great example of this, Job 8, 6 through 7 says, even though your beginning, the Rashid, was insignificant, your end will be very great. So he's talking about beginning. He's talking about all of Job's life before his suffering. So he marks this whole period. So this Rashid and beginning that we're talking about is the beginning period of these seven days. And then we get God. God is called many things um, throughout Scripture, but here he is called Elohim. Elohim means God supreme. Um, this is God in all of his creative order. This is sovereign Lord and the will of God being pushed out through all of creation. So we're going to see God displayed in specifically three different ways throughout our passage, but Elohim is really, really important. And then the word created, which is bara. So you have 
if you put it all together, Rashid Elohim Barah. And the reason that created and that Barah is really important because it's different than the way that we, we create. It's used, um, I think, what did they say? It's used 48 times in the Old Testament. 48 times in the Old Testament, and every single time that it's used, it's used in reference to God. God is the only one that does that. That's unique. What makes it unique is that he is not creating the way that we create, which is making something of the world that we've been given. He's creating from nothing. So God is creating from nothing, and he's making something. There's a unique way that God creates. So Rashid Elohim Barah, the heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth, which mean the sky as simply as possible and the land. And you're like, man, that sounds really simple. It's because it is pretty simple. They didn't have a word for the universe. So all that they could do is look and be like, he made the sky and he made what was below. He made what was above and what was below. And the earth was without form and void. And that is the whole reason that we are talking about specifically this verse. Without form and void. These words are tohu vavohu. Hey. Um, Try and say it. It rhymes. Tohu vavohu, and it's really fun to say. Can you say tohu vavohu? Yeah, you want to say it again automatically, don't you? Tohu vavohu. It it reminds me of... um, it reminded me of Finding Nemo, uh, shark bait. Ooh, um, that's what I thought of. Uh, to- tohu vavohu. It, it, what it means is it's, it's without form and void, but specifically what it means is that it was, um, it was unorganized, without order, and that there was nothing. It was empty. So the way that I, I think Tim Mackey puts it is it, it is um, unordered and uninhabited. So it's empty. So like when you think about like, I don't know what you think about. When, when, when you think about like this passage and you're just like close your eyes and just read that. You're like, what do you see? And, and part of what we see is this just like uninhabited, just like amoeba. This just like, like, like thing that we can't really define. There's, it's deep. There's, there's these deep waters. And, and those, those waters, you know, represent something that is just, it's just emptiness. And, and then at the heart of that, there is there is, um, we don't have it up here. We gotta read it. There is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is at the heart of all of this. Um, ruach is, so you, you have this Spirit of God that is now in this un, uninhabited, completely empty, formless, formless before reality, um, just space. And and you're like, all right, so, so why does it matter? <laughs> um, well, it, it matters because everything else that is going to follow is going to answer this. This is our question. This is the problem. The problem is that there is nothing, there is, there is no order, and it is chaos, and there's nothing there. And throughout the rest of the passage, what we're going to see is that one day at a time, Specifically, in the first three days, there's going to be a forming that happens. And then on the second three days, there's going to be a filling that happens. It answers this very specific thing. So the first thing that we're going to see in our passage today is that God speaks order into our chaos. God speaks order into our chaos. All right, so let's read. Starting in, starting in verse 3. Now, remember, the first thing that we're looking for is order. It says, And God said, Let there be light. 
And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into a place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. All right, we go back to this. So the first thing that we see is form, right? So from here, from Tohu, um, we get our very first three days, which is God creating order out of nothing. He's creating, he's forming the world. And so the things that we see that God does, the very first thing is that he creates space. He creates space and he creates time, right? It says that there was evening and there was morning on the very first day and that he called the day, the light day, and the darkness he called night. Which, so in the very beginning, you're like, man, this impacts my everyday. There's a reason that we're here at the time that we're here and we all got here at the same time. Is because we all still function in this. And I want us to see this as we, as we walk through this passage, like see that these are things that are not um, things that are far off, but these are things we interact with every single day. Like this is part of our day. He creates space and time and he names them. And then God forms the skies above and the waters below. So he separates the skies above um, and the waters below. And one of the things that we're going to see over and over again is while we like to look at the beginning of creation and answer the question of, of matter, you know, where did this begin? And what you see in um, ancient uh, uh, cosmology is that with the study of the cosmos is, is that they were most concerned with, what they were most concerned with wasn't the matter, it was the function of that matter. And so that's what they're explaining the entire time. Like, if I were to bring a bike in front of you right now and the chain wasn't there, they would look at it and they'd be like, it's not a bike. It's, it doesn't do anything. What does it do? It, I can't pedal that. And it's a hunk of metal. It doesn't do anything. So what Moses is most concerned with in this moment is explaining to you what is God creating? That, what's the function of what God is creating? So he's creating this space and he creates time. He separates the skies and the waters. And the last thing that he does is he creates the seas and the oceans. Um, Seas in the land, uh, and he, he makes dry land appear, and we get this bonus, right? This bonus of, like, plants, which is great. Um, you get, like, plants, and in these plants, there's, like, fruit, and there's fruit, there's seed, and, that, and it kind of multiplies, and you, very, the very beginning, you get this beginning of multiplication. He's forming. That's what he's doing. Um, 
forming is something that it's hard to it's hard for us to sometimes imagine this in creation. You're like, all right, where do we begin with this? Um, but it is something that we do every day, and it's something that we do instinctually. Um, so my daughter, Annabeth, which later today we're going to an Eagles game at 1 o'clock. It's our first Eagles game. She's super pumped up. Surprised her yesterday. So she's very excited. She has all her Eagles gear on. Um, but she, uh, she makes things nonstop. Um, like at a crazy rate. Um, and, and it's, it's exciting, you know, over time, it, one of the things that you do as a parent, you begin to discern the things that are, um, nicer, you know, that you're keeping and the things that you're just like, we can't keep everything, you know? And so uh, one of the things that I, um, absolutely love, not because it's nice, but because it, it, it was for, for many reasons, but it was very thoughtful as, um, we made my office in the basement. She came down, and the very first thing that she did was she handed me this. Um, and she said, Daddy, these are for your small things. <laughs> um, and I said, okay, all right. Um, so, like, coins or whatever. He, she said, yes, you can put coins in there, anything that's small, which she loves things that are small. Um, and I love it because she, she took, like, just what was nothing, and she physically formed this. Um, and I do. I keep all my change in here. Uh, but one of the things that you'll notice if you look closely is that you see her fingerprints on this. Like this clay. I, we didn't have this when I was a, when I was a kid. I, maybe we did. I didn't play with it. Um, but you can see her small little fingerprints in every single groove that she formed and she made decisions on how this was going to look. Um, and it's something that you know, we, when you look at the world, you're like, how could you even consider what it would truly be like to form the world? Um, but you can't deny the imprint of God on all of it. Like, he leaves his mark on everything. It's one of the things that Paul points to in, um, in Romans 1.20. He says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made, they can clearly see his visible qualities, his eternal power and divine, divine nature, so they know of no excuse of not knowing him. It's, it's part of what we do instinctually. We create things. And what, what it says here is that God created, it says eight times, actually, that he speaks, his voice. He creates it with his voice. And you're like, how do you, what does that mean? What his voice is, is the authority of God. It's the very authority of God going out from him. So, for example, if Doug were to come into my house and be like, girls, go to bed, they would look at me, look at Doug and be like, what do you, who do you think you are? You know? And they would look at me and kind of just ask, like, do we really have to go to bed? And if I say, girls, go to bed, then there's nothing else that needs to be said. Hopefully, they go straight to bed, <laughs> you know? But there's an authority that my voice carries because they're mine. And that's what we see in God in creation is that he speaks these things into existence. And what we need to know more than anything is that what it is is the authority of God being put on display where he doesn't need to physically even move his hands. This is something that his very nature goes out and, and it responds because he has authority because he's God. 
And so as he says, like, dry land appear, it appears. As he, as he separates, like, the darkness from the light, and he gives it names of the, like, the day and the night. You know, as we're going to see, as he places, like, stars in the sky, like, he is speaking all these things, and they are listening because they are his. And what's vital as we ask the question from the beginning, which was, how do we, like, what does this have to do what does this have to do with my life today? I'm in Fishtown, you know, like I'm in Philadelphia. Why does this matter? It's because of what John says at the very beginning of his apostle. This is what he says. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What's the word? Jesus is called the word. That is who he is. He holds the same authority that God does. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so Jesus is that light. And if you've ever had a reduced view of Christ where you're like, Jesus is, he plays a role. Well, what I see right here is that that role also includes creating all things. And one of the ways that we see that displayed, even in his story, is that he looks at the waves and he says, stop. Like when Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and there's 12 of them there and the waves are crashing against the boat and, and, and Jesus wakes up, he says, peace, be still. And immediately, it's like, why? Because they know that voice. They know that voice. Jesus carries that same exact creative authority. And that's the moment where they look at his, the disciples look at Jesus and said, who is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? Who is this man? I, I thought I knew who he was. He just did something that blew my mind. Who is this? So it's crucial for us to understand that Jesus is this word. J.D. Greer says this. He says, Jesus, the word, would come to re-enter a dark, sin-filled chaotic world and that word would bring life and light once more another way to put this is that jesus partook in creating the world and now he's partaking in recreating the world he was part of creation and on the cross jesus he he arrives he lives his a sinless life he's led by the spirit he's in submission to the father he as he goes through his life like what you see over and over and over again is that he is pushing back darkness literally as as Jesus approaches people he is restoring what is broken it's exactly what healing is he's taking what was once broken and restoring it to its original order and he does it over and over and over again ultimately he he restores what was the core of what was broken, which was death. death. Death arrives, and Jesus takes on that, and there is now life. And that restored order is something that we too can now walk in through Christ. So you're like, man, what does he do? How does, why does this matter? It matters because God formed the world. He formed the world. He formed everything. I, I wish that I could convey to you. I wish that we could just look quickly at the magnificent wonders of the world. He formed it all. And maybe even more impressive, what we're going to see is that he forms us 
but then he reforms us as well. So I think about chaos. Um, there's, um, I know it's part of my story, um, and if you're restored by Christ, it's probably also part of yours. Is um, One of the things that uh, Jesus gives when he comes into your life is that he gives you a, a, a firm footing. He gives you something to stand on. There's now truth, and what that truth does is it creates this alignment. Um, the way that... Um, that Tim puts it is that it's uh, we're back online. You know what I mean? Like a breaker. Like it's not working, and then Jesus comes in, and you're just back online. Everything's good now, you know? Um, and, and it happens as Jesus enters your life. Is there, There's this moment where everything that was once confusing is just like, what is my purpose? What do I do? Like, who is God? Why do, I, why do I exist? What do these relationships mean? What are these desires that I have meaning? All these massive, massive questions immediately become in alignment because you have this direction from Christ where he's just like, life to death, you know, and death to life. It's just like, that's what I've done. And, and, and we have restored, like, and so there is this new direction that you have. There's this new direction that you have where you can take the things, everything that you've been gifted, and there's now a purpose. There's order, you know? There's order. It's something that our world, especially right now, is desperately, desperately looking for. So I think, I want us to think about it that way, that, um, that's what Jesus came to do. John 10.10 10 says that he came that they would have life and that they would have it abundantly. Um, and how does he do that? And 2 Corinthians 5.29 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin um, so that we might become the righteousness of God. There's a restorative work that happens in your life. There's a restorative work that happens in your life. Um, and the way that we see it now is that there is a garden that we can walk with. The walk in the um the most prominent um i would say defining thing about the garden is that one it was good and it was also where where the glory of god was right you see that that god dwelt in the garden and those are two things that we are invited to partake in even now so we walk we live life in this garden. So two questions for you to just consider is, um, does your life feel like it is full of chaos or do you feel like it's in order? Um, and then also, are you looking to Christ in the chaos? I think this is something that, um, this is something that we, we can encourage others and be like, man, your, your life feels crazy. You're, you know, my, someone says, my life is crazy. You're like, man, you need Jesus. And it's almost instinctual for us, which is great. And I pray that it is for you. Just like, that, let me insert Christ into that. But sometimes we forget to remind ourselves of that as well. You know, sometimes we, even as followers of Jesus, our lives becomes chaos. And we, we immediately begin to try to manage it our own. And we are like, we are immediately humbled and reminded hopefully very quickly that we were never able to manage this on our own so whatever the circumstances that you are on that you currently have around you all of these the answer is found in Christ like the answer is found in Christ and if you've been looking anywhere else it's just not going to sustain you it's an escape so look to Christ I think those are two questions to help consider um consider in your missional communities talk about them in your DNA groups um 
I'm praying that there would be fruitful discussions that come from those. The second thing that we have in our passage today is that God fills our world with his goodness. He fills our world with his goodness. Um, Let's start with verse 14. All right, so we did the first three days. Um, Tohu vavohu, remember? Tohu vavohu. Um, It's without form, and it's void, and it's empty. We've seen God form this, and now what we're looking at is how it's empty. How does he fill it? Starting in verse 14, he says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give the light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse over the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that the light was good, saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. There's that word again. And God blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds and livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kinds and the livestock according to its kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. I watched that, and after reading this, I was like, yes! Like, I can't, I can't explain that, you know? Like, what am I going to do, sit here and say, man, monkeys are awesome, you know? It's like, no, man, you have to see it. You have to see it. Like, God's created order. He is so creative, you know? And he gives life in so many different ways, in so many different forms, and you have to see it. And... One of my encouragements, I guess you could call it homework for this week, is like, go explore something. You know, like, go just look. In light of Genesis chapter 1, go just look at creation. Look at, look at the, what does he call The insects, like the small creeping things, you know? And then you've got like the, the beast of the land, and, and you've got the sea creatures, you know, the great sea creatures. It's like, what? Man, that is absolutely incredible, that God would speak and that these things would just come into existence. Man, a couple of the things that we see here. So like we said, there's an order to this thing, right? There was without form and that it was empty. It was void. Uh, and so day four relates to day one. Day five relates to day two. Day six relates to day three. I hope that you see it now, that you're just like, oh, there's a lot of order there. Um, someone wrote this. You almost get the feeling that there is a little bit more than just like an organization of events that takes place. Like there's, so the author is telling us something more. What he's telling us is that there is a good God that created this. There's something very specific as to why it's written the way that it's written, why it functions the way that it does. So in space and time, he puts the sun and the stars and the moon, the skies that are above and the waters below. You see the sea creatures and the birds that are created. And then in the seas and the land, um, technically seas are form, 
there. We kind of get both. Um, but the seas and the land um, are the land creatures and the livestock. And then we get eventually, which we're not going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Imago Day after, um, after Tim. But you get this bonus creation on day six, which is um, man made in the image of God. Um, and then we're going to talk about rest, which is the pinnacle of all of this, this created order. Um, this is God's creation, and it has a purpose. Um, Yeah, we see specific things that, I mean, just to help us get a bigger view of God's creative order. It says, um, you might be surprised uh, to know that there are 200 to 400 billion stars in our galaxy, but then there could be also as many 500 billion galaxies in the universe, and each of which which could have as many more stars than the Milky Way, which is our galaxy. That's nice. Um, uh, Science Daily says about uh, 8.7 million, give or take 1.3 million. I thought, <laughs> we can't get closer than that. Um, 8.7 million, give or take 1.3 million, is the new estimated total number of species on Earth, the most precise calculation ever, ever offered, with 6.5 million species on the land and 2.2 million in the ocean. And if you look up the ocean, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what's in there. Yo, who knows what's down there, you know? Um, Yeah, there's this created order that is unique, and all of it points to a God that is good. Um, Good. Good. We say, we we see that word, um, I think it's eight times, once is very good in this passage. God, the word Elohim, is used 32 times in the first 35 verses. So if you're wondering who the main character is, yep. Um, God creates this. He's a good God, and he, he declares it good. Um, we use that word pretty flippantly, um, where we just kind of like, I had, I had a burger, it was good. You know, um, I watched a movie, it was good. Or, or, or what, what we'll say if we, if we don't like something, it wasn't very good. Um, or if it's like, if it's not quite up to our standards, it's like, yeah, it's kind of good, you know. Um, we use it and we preface it, and, but what we don't realize that we're doing in that moment is, is we're acknowledging that the term good is us, us setting a standard, a personal standard, where we're saying, I'm defining, for you, maybe not for you, but for me, which is my world, this is what's good. So if you ask people, is Lopez good? People are going to be like, some of us are going to be like, heck, yeah, it's great. And then other us are going to be like, um, absolutely not. You know, it's a cheap imitation of real Mexican food, you know. Um, so our definition for good is different, you know. Um, but what we're doing is we're, we're placing on it this standard. And what we're saying is that this is what we believe is best. And, and what we see with, with God and all of creation is that not only is he doing that, but when God says this, what he's saying is that it's complete. This is exactly what it was designed for. I made it, and it is doing and functioning exactly as it was made to function, and it's right. This is good. And I think what makes this whole story, now we are going to, I don't want to rush ahead, um, but no one has to um, convince you that the world's broken. So you know at some point, you know, this is broken. Um, but the whole reason that this falls apart is because we desire, we, 
we would rather um, define for ourselves what is good than trust the Lord as to what he says is good and what is right. Um, that is the crux of what the fall in the garden is. And what we find from that is that we are very bad at defining what is good. Um, throughout, our, throughout all of Scripture, like Scripture is this. That's the story of Scripture. It's like there's this fall of people defining what is good and failing to define correctly what is, is good. And, and so from Abraham to Moses to the prophets to all of Israel to the judges to even, even as we see the church, we see even in our own life, it's just like this constant downward spiral of, of people trying to define what is right and what is not right and what is good and what is, what is not good. And um, man, what, what it ends with in the end is this, this kind of desire to be like, man, we need someone to tell us what's right. And that's what Jesus is. We need someone to again define for us, be the essence, be the definition of good for us. And what it creates in our life is um, an inability to fill our life with things that are actually a blessing from the Lord. But what happens is that we fill our, our, the world with things that are broken. Um, and so, yeah, you see it Mo in, in the most... Um, in the worst case, we're actually taking what is inherently evil and we're calling it good. You're not going from just like, man, I, I, we don't have, uh, we, God's standard of good is here and mine is here. You're actually taking what's evil and you're saying, that is good. Um, you see this with Lamech. It's a perfect example. It's just a, like the story right after Cain and Abel is Lamech who has just all of these wives and he, and he sings about how he kills people. And you're like, now he's declaring something that is inherently evil, good. It's broken. Like something's wrong. Something has shifted. And it's because this, what was good, was lost. Um, look with me at Ephesians 2. We're almost done, I promise. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Says this, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that anyone may boast... For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you can stay, you stay in Ephesians. I'm going to read Hebrews 10, 19 through 24. Therefore, brothers, since we have, been confident, have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that, that has opened up to us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a greater priest over our hearts, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience in our bodies, washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. It's like... How, how can we be held to the responsibility of producing something good when we do not know what is good? It, without Christ, this is what I want you to see. Without Christ, that's not fair. It's in the broken world that we are, we are put into, like we don't know what is good, but yet what Paul is saying in this moment in Ephesians and what we see in Hebrews is, man, you're supposed to produce in you good works. 
Like there's supposed to be this, there's supposed to be this reflection of God and his created order where man, we are alongside the Father. We are also producing things that are good in this world. Like that's what we're made to do. But without Christ, we do not know what is good. The word is what defines for us what is good. Jesus defines that and he's given us his word. And so what we see in, in this passage and we see in Hebrews is that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. Like this grace that we have been given not only changes our future, but it changes how we see the world. It changes everything about us. It changes how we fill the world around us. It changes what life comes out of us. Like if there's anything that defines these second three days, it's that God produced life and just let it loose. He let it loose on all creation in all of its different forms. And that same life is something that has been given to us through Christ. And so through that, we have the opportunity to produce something good. Good. We can look at his word. We can look at the things that we have. And we can do something that isn't set by our standard of good, but actually is something that was designed and that what it says in Ephesians is that was prepared beforehand for us to do. That God would call us to that. It's something that's good. We do it through Christ. We do it through um, not only that, but from the beginning we see this, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Ruach, which is the breath of God, the wind, the wind in the air. There is this idea that the very presence of God was in the unordered space. Um, and it's important because what we see what we see is that both in that passage and then in, as Jesus recreates the world, this, was, this blew my mind. As Jesus recreates the world what's, and he sends out his disciples, what's the first thing that he does? He says, your spirit. Like, I, you need the spirit. And so again, the spirit is invited into this. There is this wait, and you will receive power, and they're waiting, and, and the spirit comes. And again, the Spirit of God empowers to recreate the way that we see in this story. So I was going to go John 14, but I don't know that we have time. Um, all right. So as the band comes up um, and as, as we close, I'm going to read Psalm 104, uh, 10 through 24. Um, and I want to remind us that... <clears throat> What we, see, what we saw today was that, man, I, and again, go explore um, through the lens of Genesis chapter 1. And, and you're going to see that there is a clear order in everything that was made. And I would encourage you to look at the details, and I would encourage you to look at the things that are just magnificent. Um, but go explore the world, and you're going to see that there is a, a chaos that has been brought into order. Um, but in your own life, that um, God also fills our world with his goodness. Um, that's what he does. And while we have this responsibility to carry on good works, that's something that we don't know how to do on our own. This is something that we do through Christ. So as we say life in the garden, and we're going to say it over and over and over again, that's what we're saying, is that there is, going, there, is, there is a, you are either walking with Christ or you are not walking with Christ. And if you're walking with Christ, um, you are, the Spirit of God is with you, um, and you are abiding in him. 
And that gives you the ability to live um, how you were always designed to live from the very beginning. Let me read Psalm 104, 10 through 24. I don't know if you want to just close your eyes and think while I read this, but we're, I'm just going to read this and we're going to be done. Um, this is what it says. It says, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field, field and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon had that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The storks has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, They steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how mindful are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Let me pray real quick. Father, um, mindful. How mindful are your works. The earth is full of your creatures. Father, we marvel. Today, today we marvel. Um, we stand in awe of, of who you are, of, of what you've done. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, I pray that you would give us spiritual eyes, Lord, that we would see this world, not through our flesh, but we would see it through, through your spirit, through your very nature. Lord, as, as we observe what you've done, that... Lord, that it would bring about in us greater worship, great obedience, Lord, that we would participate in the creation of good works in this world. Lord, as you're recreating the world through Christ, Lord, that we would be a part of that celebration. Father, we, we love you, and we thank you today um, for a moment just to pause and, again, look at your created order and be in awe of who you are. In your name, amen.